Kirsten Weikert, and this is SEO in 2023. Kirsten, what is your number one SEO tip for 2023? It is roll up your sleeves and do the manual work to elaborate on that a little bit. <laughs> okay, well, we're, we're both wearing t-shirts, but but um, maybe let's not go down the literal path. But yes, if you could possibly expand on that, that would be great. <laughs> you got me confused there for a second. Yes, so um, basically, I think we all love a good tool. We all like to work with tools. We get excited when there's new features of our favorite tool. We like exploring new tools because they make things fast for us and efficient. And they, they're really, really good at you know, helping us do things um, at scale. But with that, there are also some risks if we purely rely on you know, what we get from, from our beloved tools. For example, you might like get overly obsessed with a certain score if there's a health score or a speed score and you might spend all your time and efforts and budget on doing that one thing very well. Another risk is that, you know, you might see a drop in rankings and the tool tells you, oh, there was a Google update and you're like, oh, okay, well, that's the reason. So <laughs> analysis done. Of course, we sh you shouldn't do that. Or thirdly, if you think about, you know, working with content, you might think, oh, I had these topics in mind, but there's not really much search volume around it. So maybe I'm not going to spend time on that. Maybe I will not cover that because the tool tells me it's not the best idea. And I think that's where there's a risk that we can go wrong and we can focus our time on things that we might want to cover as the basics. So yes, of course, start with your tools, but then really, really make an effort and, and you know, do manual research, look into the things that will move the needle for you and your business, because everyone's using tools and everyone's probably using very similar tools. So if we just stick with that, it's not really going to give us the upper hand. We need to do the extra work and Yes, it is time consuming. It is very time consuming. And um, I think there's there's just no way around it. Whatever area it is, um, same with link building. If you just look at, oh, the tool suggests I should build these links because my competitors have links there. There's a link gap. You know, there you go. Bob's your uncle. Well, maybe you can be a bit more creative and find different opportunities and, um, you know, get some traction there. So I think it's very, very important to use your tools as the foundation, but then really, really go in and do the manual work as well. So you've mentioned manual a few times there. Well, what things are best done manually? I mean, for instance, um, I'm thinking of, of a couple of things. Tools typically give you some kind of um, signal as to whether or not they think your technical infrastructure of your website is healthy or set up as efficiently as possible. And another thing could be perhaps keywords, perhaps um, a tool is telling you you have to target a particular keyword, but you're looking at it and you're thinking, actually, I I'm better off for my own target market and for my likelihood of ranking something, focusing on something else. Um, or, or do you have something else in mind that, that is better done manually? Yeah, I think it's not necessarily that it's better manually, 
but it is a necessary step that needs to follow. I think when it comes to technical SEO, yes, of course, we do need to rely on tools. There is not really a way around it, but it's still on you to you know, focus on the right thing and understand what the tool is telling you. For example, it might flag, oh, X percent of your pages are you know, not being indexed. And you might think, oh no, let's change that. But actually those were PPC landing pages and they're not meant to be indexed, for example, right? So you don't want to just take what the tool says and then implement something uh, that might have a negative impact on what you're doing. And I guess also in terms of manual, if we just stick with the technical um, part for a second, you know, some tools they have, or a lot of tools they have, like a classification of what's high priority, what's medium, what's low. And I think that's generally a very good indicator, right? But it might be different for your website. It might be that there's something else that should be a priority. So use the tool for the audit, but then use your brain and your thinking yep. and look at what resources you have that you can work with and then prioritize. So the prioritizing the items on your list would be the manual bit. If we look at content, I think there's also a lot you can do manually and you should do. So you can, you know, use your tools, um, come up with your initial ideas, your, your topics, your topic clusters, and then break that down into subtopics. Perfectly fine. But from there, you should take it further and think about what are other content ideas that are relevant. I guess something that's maybe in everyone's head, but not everyone is doing, is look at what your customers are asking. What are the questions that come up frequently? We have a rule in our company, you know, if, if we get asked something three times, then we write an article about it because people want to know. So again, it depends on, you know, uh, how much resource you have and how much time. But also, you will see lists of competitors for your content in, in most of the tools. But you also should spend the time and evaluate, are those really my competitors? And then go into the search results and, and look at what they're doing. What type of content are they producing? What content formats are they using? Is it just written content? Do they have, you know, images, infographics, illustrations, video? Like, what can you really, really do to be deserving of those top positions in search results? What can you do to really, really become the better search result? And I think uh, that's something we do at great length. Um, and again, it depends on your business and your goals, how much time you want to spend on it. But for us, that's very much a big part of the process is looking at what is really ranking, how can we make it better? And then we take this away and we interview our internal experts. I work in the legal space, so of course, um, that does need a lot of knowledge. So we talk to our internal experts, we get, you know, insights and stats from them. We write the content, the content goes back to our, you know, subject matter experts. Uh, they might leave a comment we can integrate uh, within the article or a video or whatever we think coming directly from the expert makes this so much better. Then it goes through a very strict legal review as well because it needs to be correct, it needs to be factually correct. Then it goes through an editor, then it gets published. So we really put in the time and effort and we make sure we don't only highlight people as our internal experts, but we create real estate around the website to highlight them as experts, to show their profile, to 
uh, you know, find opportunities where we feature them on third party platforms, on, you know, new sites and partner sites. So we spread their expertise, and build their profile. So when they contribute to our content, it lifts it up again. So, yes, of course, it does start with keyword research and with looking at, you know, which topics are relevant, but it goes so much further and far beyond the initial research. And I think you can apply that to basically any part of SEO, really, that you want to focus on. Yeah, and I know what you mean by working in the the legal space. I mean, I've worked in the the financial space in the past, and I think there's a lot of things like compliance that SEOs need to be aware of. And it can be challenging because something that you want to publish tomorrow can take months to get approval um, to publish. And this is something that you have to bear in mind as as, as part of your strategy, certainly. Um, I also like the word indicator that you used in relation to these tools. They don't give you a kind of a black and white, this is definitely the thing to do. It's all about this is possibly a good idea to think about. And yeah. it, it gives you a good starting point. Now, now, one other phrase that you also used is be the best thing on the internet for your space. <laughs> um, so, so what does that what does that mean in practice? How, how do you become the best thing on the internet for your space? Yeah, that's that's exactly what I meant by doing the the manual research because you have to see what others are doing and and you have to be deserving of you know ranking in those top positions and that's by seeing what can you offer what can you offer that is unique is there something you can do that's not just a repetition of the same topic coverage that's already out there thousands of times right and that's where. Yeah, again, you do the manual work and you see how can you make this thing better? Can you make it more comprehensive? I guess that's something unique to us, for example, that there are a lot of um, legal topics already covered, but they are covered in a very legal way, you know, in in very uh, complex wording. And I would say maybe not very accessible So that's where we can be unique by, you know, taking complex topics and making them more accessible to a wider audience. And um, it's really nice to see we do get quite a bit of feedback on social and our CEO directly where people message him on LinkedIn or via email say, hey, I read this piece on such and such and I really enjoyed it because I could fully understand, uh, you know, how it works, what is needed. And that's exactly what we want to do to be the best thing on the internet for that given topic. So from your experience of working with lawyers or working with compliance officers on getting a piece of content published that you want to be published, and perhaps you've had pushback on the first piece, do you push back yourself? Is it possible to persuade someone like that that the content in the form that you wish to see it published should be published? I would say it really depends if something is just misleading or factually incorrect, then there's no point convincing anyone because you just shouldn't do it, right? I'd say luckily things where work now are quite fast. Um, We work a lot on Slack, so the communication is really fast. So luckily, in our case, things don't take several weeks or months because, yeah, our our legal team, they're, they're, we have a really good relationship, so they are aware we will send things over, they will check it, um, and then it goes back to us. So sometimes there might be differences in preference 
where we might want to be a bit more, I guess, a bit more out there in our marketing messaging and maybe, you know, um, pushing a different angle, which is the marketing angle a bit more. And then they would say, hmm, yeah, maybe, you know, hold your horses a bit. That could be misleading. This could be misleading. So I think it's it's a bit of give and take and it's a bit of compromise, but we've just established a very good way of working together where we trust them, they trust us, and we don't flag things that are unnecessary because I think that's what makes the process very, very long. So they know it's, you know, meant to be for readers. They know it's meant to uh, be for marketing purposes. So they understand that and they will stick to flagging the things that really, really do need flagging, which uh, luckily is not that often. I've worked in different organizations before where that was different where there was not a direct communication between the person in the legal team reviewing and the person writing the article. It was a black box you submitted and then you may or may not get your review back um, whenever you get it back. So that was a bit of a not so great process of doing things. And if something was rejected, then yeah, it was rejected. So I, I know from experience, it can be that way. Luckily, in our case, it's not. And I think it's because we've built really good relationships and also yes um, we are also a smaller company we're not you know a huge corporate where there's no direct contact to the legal team. You also talked a little bit about your competitors uh, and the fact that you shouldn't necessarily assume your competitors are who SEO software tools say they are. So firstly how do you decide who your competitors actually are and then how do you go about benchmarking your performance against your competitors? In our case, that's a bit tricky because we have a wide range of products and each of those could have a different set of competitors. But I think what you need to do is look at it from different angles. So I would start by going around the business, asking our sales team, who do they see as the biggest competitors, maybe the product team as well. Um, then, of course, I would do my manual research, as I like to do online by looking through the Internet and see what else is out there. And then, of course, I also look at tools. I see, you know, if I have a topic cluster, who's competing with me on that? Sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. I think for us, especially because it's quite niche what we do, I think some of the tools have a bit of a you know difficulty um, picking that up because there might only be you know, so many keywords they're tracking and considering that are important in our space. So again, it's a combination of both. It's looking at the tools, it's um, asking around the business and then doing your manual work. And then what I would do is I would then decide, okay, out of all these different competitors, they could be product related competitors, but of course they can also be content competitors. So they might not have the same offering, but they compete in the same content space. Uh, so then I take that away and basically just manually look at, okay, who is getting our traffic and how much of a competitor are they in terms of product, but also in terms of content. And then I prioritize them, I benchmark them, and then I would set that up within my tool of choice for each area because like I said our categories are quite different um, and segmented um, doing that. Oh you've shared what SEO should be doing in 2023 so now let's talk about what SEOs shouldn't be doing. So what's something that's seductive in terms of time but ultimately counterproductive? Something that SEOs shouldn't be doing in 2023? 
I think we should not be following a checklist approach. We all have very good checklists and everyone loves a good checklist and they're shared everywhere. And, you know, there are so many um, checklists out there. So I would say step away from the checklist approach. Same with the tools. Use it as the foundation, but then take it further. Um, but always, always um, set your own goals, set your own priorities and start working from there. Kirsten Reichardt is the SEO and content lead at Seed Legals, and you can find her over at seedlegals.com. Kirsten, thanks so much for being part of SEO in 2023. Thank you for having me, David. Get your copy of SEO in 2023, the book, over at seoin2023.com. Oh,